Hello, welcome back to the Youth Voice Pioneers podcast, the seventh episode, I believe. We have made quite a few of them now, and this one is all about uh, youth proofing the service, so ensuring that uh, every service you provide is as youth-friendly as it can be. Uh, I am your host, Ollie, today. Uh, I haven't hosted in a while, so it's good to be back, and I am joined with the Tom to my Jerry, Naki, <laughs> as my glorious co-host. Yes, mate. The beauty to the beast. Hello, everyone. My name is Naki. Uh, I'm also a youth voice pioneer and chair of the ones with youth council. And same as Oli, I haven't hosted in a while, so it's good to be back. The, 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 the dynamic duo back at it again. Um, hi, I'm Connor. I'm the deputy chair of One Death Youth Council and also a youth voice pioneer. I tag Hannah. Hello, I'm Hannah. I am chair of the Children and Care Council for Dorset. Also, youth voice pioneer. I tag Laren. Hi, I'm Laren. I'm a youth Dorset youth councillor, um, youth inspector, young researcher, and youth voice pioneer. And um, I tag Thomas. Hi, my name's Thomas Fowler, and uh, I've got a fantastic job where I lead and design pieces of uh, change and transformation for Dorset Council. And most of my work is focused um, around children and families. And I tag um, Alison. Thank you. Hi, I'm Alison Stevens. I'm Head of Education and Youth at YHA, which is the Youth Hostel Association. Uh, I tag Gemma. Um, hi, I'm Gemma Benton. Um, I work for Girl Guiding and I'm the head of Girl Experience there. And I tag back to Naki. All right, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, now we've got introductions. I believe we'll cut straight into the icebreaker. So, Ollie, do you want to give that a go? We're, we're skipping the icebreaker, mate, today. Um, oh, and on. instead, we're going to go straight into the we're going to go straight into the COVID-19 uh, policy updates because uh, in the last week, uh, quite a lot has changed. There has been a, a bubble scheme implemented um, where if you live alone, you can now start to socialize more, um, which means that it's, it's a start. Things are starting to change. And obviously soon we have, um, we have different uh, shops being able to open um, the 15th. We're currently filming this on the 12th. Um, so there's a fair bit that is starting to change, but it won't change for quite a while yet. So from what I gather from the new COVID-19 policies that people are starting to come out of their houses six at a time. So beginning to begin to reconnect with people that they haven't had any contact with. So beginning to meet up with people from outside their houses and a lot of like friends are meeting each other a lot of families are meeting up and not gonna lie i can't wait i can't wait to have a big family barbecue only six of us like mm, mm, stay in mind and just can't wait to reconnect with people that i haven't seen in person for such a long time because it's a different thing to talk to someone on zoom or text them but just to be able to interact with them is just just something else it's just an experience that we haven't had in a long time so i can't wait for that to happen 
Yeah, I'm going to jump in um, on the other side of this coin, you know, flipping it over. Whilst it is great that we are being able to possibly start meeting more people, um, it is key to remember to keep the social distancing going on, that we have to stay, you know, two metres to six feet apart, because um, although this bubble scheme is being introduced, where you can maybe go and see one friend or, um, or go stay around that person's house if you live alone, it's still got to be kept that that one person you go and see is the only person you go and see. And for the next couple of days, next weeks, next few weeks, however long um, we're kept in this stage, it needs to be only that one person you decided to go and see. Because even though we are trying to loosen down the um, lockdown and make everything a little bit easier for everyone, we can't um, uh, abolish all of the restrictions straight away because it's far too soon. Um, of course, there's always the fear of the second wave. And if everyone starts to act as if the restrictions are gone, then um, we're going to be possibly implementing ways for that to start happening. We need to as well. We want to be able to go and see people and we want to be able to see more people and be careful, but need to ensure that we're not just meeting whoever and that we're taking it all seriously. It's definitely a start to things beginning to get a little bit easier like everyone has different experiences of what lockdown has been like uh what it's gonna turn into what we're kind of expecting we're still quite in the dark as to where we'll be in three four weeks time like there's still no kind of idea of what's going on as i said we've all had different experiences um allison did you want to share maybe your experience and your thoughts on everything that's going on at the moment yeah, hi, thank you. Yeah, I am. I'm actually based in London, um, home-wise, and and we talk about easing of restrictions. I think every time a a new uh, rule comes out, actually, it's what people have been doing for the last couple of weeks. So people are just pushing the boundaries um, a little bit more. So I think it's really important to Hannah's point um, that we do just remember what we're doing this for and and be as careful as possible. That's from a personal perspective. From a um, work point of view, so with um, with YHA, we've got all of our hostels closed at the moment. Um, and one of the things I think a lot of young people and please do um, jump in and tell me if I'm wrong, are, are longing for as well as being able to contact family and friends is to get out and be outdoors a bit more, um, move around in a, in a really safe way. So um, for us, we're, we're working as, as quickly as we can to try and work out how we how we do that, how we can um, get uh, people and especially young people outdoors and connected again with nature and culture and heritage and, and with, with their uh, friends and family. So two things really, a bit of nervousness from a personal point of view and a, and a real longing to try and um, make sure that we can respond as quickly as possible to, to help um, to help people get back out and, and get as back to whatever the new normal is. Um, I was just going to add to that. I think that there's a lot of conflicting information with the rate that everything is changing and it must be quite confusing for just a general public, including young people, um, like professionally and, and with uh, girl guiding, we this is very fairly similar to the YHA. We've closed down all face-to-face -face activity, and we we moved quite quickly to um, bring in a digital offer for girls. So um, we've called it um, Adventures at Home, and it's a it's a huge campaign that has gone out with re weekly releases and support for our leaders on how to kind of do their sessions with young people in an online space. Um, and that's great, but actually we still need to kind of make sure that we're delivering activities that the girls want to do. And as the, the length of lockdown goes on, um, you know, what young people want to do might change. And as the, and as the restrictions start to ease, you know, we need to, we need to look at how, 
we can provide both a digital offer and and kind of bring people back face to face safely as well it, it's tricky plus with the with some of the policy announcements that do actually come out of the government there's no way some people will understand them they're they're really complicated which i think actually kind of ties into what we're going to be talking about in this podcast a little bit as well about kind of that idea of youth proofing what it is that you do whether your services accounts you work for a council or you work for a business or a corporation or anything really it's about how can you make your service more friendly towards young people more kind of more of an assurance towards young people that if they are there they are going to be they're going to be safe they're going to have fun they're going to know what's going on and it's just going to be a better environment for them like i'm sure most of us pioneers we've all had experiences with a local counselor or a business make a business like guru someone high up in business the decision maker and they've sometimes said stuff that we don't get I'll, i'll use an example here uh so the other day my dad was on the phone for about 30 seconds it wasn't very long and i heard six acronyms six different acronyms used and he, he got off the phone and went, i don't know how you remember them all and i went so if, if you had someone who was like say 22 and uh, they'd gone into the to the where you work and they were kind of having to work with these acronyms you think it would be very easy for them to learn it and it's just it, on every level it's it's normally quite awkward because you've got decision making using these massive words that not all young people understand and um if someone wants to kind of fill in on that as well with another experience of them it's it's very complicated i mean i think it's really interesting in during this kind of crisis with uh created this uh, or learn a whole new language you know things like social distancing and all these kind of words and medical terms uh we've you know talked about curves and um and all sorts of kind of concepts that i guess just weren't part of our normal life and they're now part of our everyday language uh which is which is really strange but i think you really you know make a, a really good point around the amount of information and i remember like the first few weeks i watched the news every day and i looked at every piece of information but now there's so much new stuff you just kind of get a bit tired of it and i'm not reading the newspapers quite as much and listening to the news quite as much I kind of get a bit behind and a bit tired of what what's really going on and i guess the danger is that if people aren't engaging or listening to the messages then people start to act on their own or follow their own instincts and i guess that's that's probably what worries uh, kind of decision makers and i think you know there's so much we're learning as we go and i you know i work really closely with schools and I, it's been a huge challenge how to manage uh, the kind of reintroducing some children and young people back into schools because the guidance has changed uh, a lot and the government have uh you know made different decisions as we've kind of gone along and that's really hard i think when you put that across such a big scale and you look at someone like dorset where we've got some really huge secondary schools run by big academies and we've got some really small rural primary schools with just a handful of children and how you interpret and understand quite complicated guidance that changes often several times a week i think is a, is a real challenge for for professionals for schools and for all of us as we live our daily lives Yeah no I just wanted to add about how um oh there was this time about I think roughly when I joined Wands of Youth Council over like 2 years ago and I remember we were hosting this uh conference I think it was the mental health conference that we ran 
And there was a lot of like decision makers there. And I think Connor, you might be able to back me up on this. There was a lot of terminology that some of us still couldn't really grasp properly. It's like even going into it, I had no idea what CAMS men or the other acronyms they were using. So I was just trying to like look around to the other youth counselors who've been there longer than me to like sort of understand. And like I still try to avoid the decision makers purely because I didn't want to just sound like I didn't know what I was talking about. So I was just there like trying to seek help or like just trying to understand myself fully before I dived into that situation head on about like understanding the jargon and all of that. Yeah, as Naki was saying, it's um, when you're met with people that are using a load of jargon and you have absolutely no idea what they're saying, it can be really intimidating um, coming from the perspective of someone who's been through the foster system and know like we, I go to LAC meetings, I go to PEP reviews um just to name a couple of these meetings that are thrown at us and we're expected to understand and if you um showing on the zoom is like this is a couple of pages i got of your um just jargon that was used when i did the takeover day challenge um in dorset and i was in the county council for day and those were the terms that i found being used regularly and for anyone outside of the system going into that you have how are you meant to know what all of them mean um, and people can be having entire conversations to right, right in front of you and you've absolutely no idea what they're talking about. So um, a year or so ago now, we obviously we all knew this was a problem and through participation people, we started to make a youth proof charter. Um, we actually had, I think a six year old with us that day and we were going through um, jargon and stuff that, or how we might word our sentences to explain jargon and how um, us as teenagers would understand it, the sexual of course would have absolutely no idea what we were talking about, which then made us even more hyper aware that just because most people will understand what we're saying, a lot of people still are being excluded from the terms. So the youth proof charter we made is, um, I'm sure Antonia uh, has a link of it somewhere, it might even be on the website, but it shows that how you phrase things is, is so important and what you, um, make accessible to everyone needs to be completely accessible to everyone, not just the majority of people that um, understand English or have had English their first language know it, it needs to be so that anyone of any age can understand. And yeah, it is on our website. So if you've never heard of the Youth Proof Charter before, I totally recommend you go and check that out. Um, yeah, I think I can um, add in some insight here. So at Girl Guiding, um, I think we see a real opportunity at the moment, especially with everything that is obviously happening with self-isolation and coronavirus. Um, and I think a lot of other charities and organisations working with young people will be in a similar position where we're having to kind of reimagine the work that we do with young people and how we do it. And I think that, you know, we, we really wanted to move towards a position where we have a youth proof charter and things like that. But actually, just in general, over a digital space, we can we have the opportunity to engage loads of young people in decision making and planning for the future and planning for a new future, one that we didn't previously imagine. Um, and yeah, tools like youth proof charters. Um, you know, steering groups, consultation pools, all of that type of thing are really, really important and significant and piloting, you know, it's a great opportunity to pilot new ways to get in touch with and involve young people. Um, I know that the participation people website 
has loads of resources to help organizations like us like ourselves um in this area um so yeah yeah no there's a lot of like particularly as us pioneers we all come from mainly youth council or uh, children and care council uh, kind of backgrounds and um, some I use an example of some work that I've done in the past is um, in Dorchester Youth and Community Centre uh, down in Dorchester and Dorset tiny building uh, compared to probably what some people have in London or in like uh, the states in America and wherever but um, one thing that they do there which I think is actually a really good idea is if there are young people who like consistently go to that youth club throughout the years like, as they're growing up normally there's actually an opportunity for them to volunteer there uh, when they when they eventually become too old to actually attend some of the sessions and um, I've seen the way that they do it and they will involve young people in uh, budget meetings in projects and from where I'm working when I volunteer there now it's very much like oh Ollie we we want you to run a project uh, what can you do do you think you could do it we're here to help you and it's very much like that that particular youth community center it's very young person run and it is really good for it actually because if you're if you really wanted like to be part of a service that was so youth proof that literally everything they do they are consulting with their young people who actually use the service and i feel like most like businesses or most corporations or schools councils they should do the same. They should actually listen to the young people who use that service, who kind of take part in it. And I know like some schools in the past, uh, particularly with things such as uh, like appointments during school, which we all discussed about a little bit earlier, they don't always do it really well, where if you're sat in an English lesson with 24, 25 other students in your class, if not more, and all of a sudden someone comes in and goes, I'm here for Ollie. He has a counselling appointment. In that split moment, it honestly a tiny moment. That young person suddenly is thinking, "Oh God, everyone knows I'm in a counselling meeting. Everyone knows I have this to do. Everyone, everyone thinks I have this role." And it is such a downward spiral in the sense of all of a sudden that young person's world is turned upside down because something they were maybe trying to keep confidential or something they didn't want to talk about it's all of a sudden in the open for everyone to talk about. And that isn't a good way to do it. That's not youth proof. <laughs> that is the opposite. It's, it's almost hostile towards young people in the sense of it feels like the teachers or the uh, people who you have the appointment with, they don't understand what it is, what it means to suddenly be called out of a lesson and how the school, how young people actually work how young people will talk, they'll gossip. It's just, it's just how it is. And they don't seem to kind of get that. And uh, I know like some other of the pioneers will have uh, kind of examples of this where instead of a school listening to their opinion, they've shut it off. They've said, well, actually, no, we don't want, we, we, we're doing it fine. We, we, we don't need to change it, it works. But the way schools work, particularly in the last five, 10 years, that's massively changed and it feels like the school systems are a little bit behind um but if anyone else has anything they'd like to add on that <laughs> feel free well yeah i wouldn't mind and i you know i really kind of um really connect with hannah's long list of acronyms that she experienced just from a day at, at, at working at the council and i know i've only been there a couple of years working in the public sector and it you know it was like a shock uh, 
you know, I had to learn this whole new language and it took me months to, to grapple with it. And I'd come from like the voluntary sector. But what I realized is that I had a whole language set there. And so I, in some sense, I added a new language. And we all have this, I think, in all the different spheres of our life. You know, I've got groups of friends and we have our own sort of language and the kind of terms and expressions that I wouldn't use with my parents when I'm chatting to them. And so I think there's nothing wrong in a sense of having acronyms and language um, within the kind of groups that we're trying to operate in because it makes life quicker, faster. We can change things uh, and get things done in a better way and understand each other. But the key and the secret, and this is where I think we often see a real failure in services that young people are experiencing, is that you can't translate that or, or share that language uh, with the people that you're working with. You've got to you've got to have clear boundaries and empathy. And so that's why I'm you know, massively behind the youth kind of proof concept. But I'm even more passionate about um, user centered design. And I think it's so important. And this talks into what we you know, the, what you've just been been saying only around schools. Uh, and other services we experience we've got to build services around the people that are experiencing them and for me that starts really you know it starts with empathy and it starts with really understanding the needs and experience lived experiences uh, and accessibility levels i guess the people that are acting those services and we shape them accordingly and, and that's what i spend a, a kind of huge amount of time uh, doing it's really easy isn't it in our own bubbles and i know bubbles is an exciting word at the moment in the world of covid but we, we, we look through our worldview and we create what we think is the right thing for our answer. But actually, it's so important to really understand the people that we're, we're you know, working with to, 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 to provide the services for. And you know, that applies to language, but I think it ap applies to um, uh, kind of the approach. That, uh, and just getting that content right. You know, it's just things like actually not saying too much, just giving the right amount of information um, at the right time to help people make the right decisions. And so I think, um, yeah, there's some things like, you know, we've talked about PEP, which is a personal education plan. And I think, yeah, you don't want to be talking around PEPs. What does that mean? Whereas an education plan makes some sense. But I think there's other words that we really do need to change. And one of those, for instance, would be this thing called respite. And when I know um, people that are caring for perhaps uh, young people or children can have respite, they can have a rest from that young person. And that seems like an awful term to me. Why would you want to be rested from another human being? Um, you know, particularly when you're caring for. And so I'd really like to, to think about some of the language because behind that language is very powerful uh, messages that I think often unhelpful. Oh, thank you, Thomas, so much for that. Linking into like um, staff recruitment and getting young people involved in that sense. I know that um, from being at ones of Youth Council, I've, sort, I've had the privilege to be on sort of both perspectives and like staff interviews. So when I first joined and we were recruiting like a new staff member, I was with the majority group of young people where we were sort of doing sessions that the potential recruits were doing. So we had to sort of like read through their session plan and we sort of acted out that session as in it was, if it was like an actual youth council session that they were leading. And we sort of had to rank it on different aspects from how well was it communicated how well did the staff engage with the young people? How comfortable was everyone feeling with like how the staff member was conducting the activity, leading the activity, but also making sure that everyone was feeling safe and feeling comfortable in that environment. And then the second aspect was that I actually got the privilege of being on a panel with Antonia and Josh, who works, uh, who works closely with Greenwich. And it was, I think I preferred that because being with like, 
two other adults who I knew had a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, I could sort of bounce off of them. But it just felt so empowering as well that, you know, I was the only young person there. And it was sort of just like having my voice actually heard and having the adults hearing the comments and actually taking heed of them and learning about what to do next. I think that's something that more young people should experience, just that feeling of empowerment and I get getting their point across effectively. Um, hi, it's Gemma again. I just wanted to add a point in reference to that. So um, to anyone listening to this podcast, I think involving young people in interview processes for staff or volunteers or the adults um, working with or supporting the young people in the organisation is so important and it gives so much to the young people. The challenge that I want to kind of put out there is don't just kind of get your young people and say right this is what you're marking like work with them beforehand to decide what you're looking for in the candidate so the young people are setting the kind of indicators or the things that they're scoring uh, because otherwise it it doesn't hold as much value and I think yeah some of the real life examples that I've been involved with have been where, where they've worked fantastically and where we've recruited incredibly and the young people have loved the process it uh examples where from right at the start when we thought we were going to go out to recruit we've involved the young people there not at the point at which we've shortlisted a few people for interview so yeah that's my that's my challenge to any listener and it's also always important to remember that when involving young people in your interviews is you're they're not just there for the sake of being there you need to hand some of the power over to them it's like whenever we've done um interviews for uh, new participation people workers um, we've had a session where they've had the interviewees have had to run a session with young people in it and also had the kind of more formal interview process in a different room and I think the last one I was involved in 40% of the decision was held by the young people in, who were in that session that the um, person that was there for interview ran so it was partly up to us as to who would go who was going to get the position and that is such an important thing to remember because if you just have young people there for the sake of being there there's not really any point of them being there they need to have some power behind what they're doing because otherwise it's just a face and it's not really affecting anything recently within Dorset we actually um we had a new youth worker kind of uh start working with us but uh, we were given the choice uh, before uh, participation people decided on whether or not he'd work in Dorset. We were at, we were actually told you're allowed. You can meet him before. You can speak to him. You can see if he's right for the role. You can ask him questions. You can get to know him. At that point, they had already kind of decided on an applicant solely because he'd applied for a different job in a different part of the country. But we did get we got the chance to just kind of have a conversation with him, just speak to him, get to know him. And we weren't told what to say. We weren't given any sort of script. We were literally said, like basically told us to just get him with questions, just go for it, see how he reacts to it. And I know in the past there have been recruitment campaigns, particularly with Dorset, that have sometimes got a little bit out of hand uh, in the sense of it's gone really over the top with uh, things such as fake phone calls and uh, distressed young people to really try and ensure that someone is right for the role. And I think that, that sort of stuff, that is really powerful. You're letting young people decide 
how they want to find the right applicant. And that in itself is a youth-proof service because the young people decide who it is who facilitates them. I've been told to clarify, we didn't distress young people on purpose. <laughs> it was entirely fake, um, but it worked really well. <laughs> That's all I'm going to add. Connor, you had something you wanted to say, didn't you, about some uh, like uh, youth-proofing work you've done in Wandsworth as well? Yeah, so de definitely. Um, I've also been a part of um, self-interviews as well, and it's really unique that we get to interview someone who's going to be working with young people, that young people are interviewing them. So the young people get a say in what they get. So they get a say in what applicant they work with it. Because if something works well for the staff of the company, but it doesn't work well with the young people of the company, and that person is going to be working with young people a lot, it's important to get that feedback from young people, to have young people involved with what they're saying. And it's all about empower, empowering other young people as well. Like in Wandsworth, there is this project called EOF, so the Youth Opportunity Fund, where the council releases a grant of money and then young people get to apply to be on the EOF panel. And then I think it's, yeah, so so young people, so, so group, groups of young people can then apply for sums of money, which then they bring to young people on the EOF panel, then we get to grant whether they are allowed the funding, granted the funding for their pro project or not. Then there's several rounds that you go through. So they have to go through, write a whole application themselves. They've got to pitch the idea themselves. So it's all about young people orientated. So it's very much young people led and young people empowerment. And I find it is really incredible that young people are given such responsibility over a large sum of money, which will then go and directly impact other young people in the borough, which is a very unique thing. Yeah, no, I think I just wanted to add about also the youth panel as well, just to point out about how like the grants that don't make it. So as Connor said, like the grants that do make it, they sort of, they get their project funded. But for those who don't, they sort of get like an addition, they get to apply to the next funding factory where they sort of get a chance to oh, to look again at the, um, at what they put forward to the panel. And we also provide some feedback to them, positive and negative, just to make sure that they can change the application to make it, to give them a higher chance of actually getting back and securing the funding. So yeah, it's just sort of like giving them the continuous support and about how it's young people helping out other young people to help progress themselves and also just to give back to other young people, just trying to give them new opportunities to give something new. So we ran a little inspection in Wandsworth where we went round to all the youth provisions in, in the borough and we inspected what sort of mental health services that they were offering to the young people that attended their service. And so we, we went around as young people, young inspectors with our clipboards, we got on the bus, we're very excited. So we, so we went around to every single service provider that we could find. And we, uh, and we assessed them ourselves, we designed the questions ourselves, we went in, assessed the facilities, asked the workers about what they do, and even interviewed some young people as well. So it's very much young people led, so young people asking about provisions that are for young people as well. Then we then compiled all our findings, we 
looked at what worked, what didn't work. Then we made a list of suggestions, which we then gave back to the services in a nice, polite way, as in, as in not to go, oh, the, 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 this is what you're doing bad, this is that, because it's all good to say that they're doing bad, but there's no point in doing that if you're not going to explain how they can make it better, how they can improve it. So we give them a list of suggestions and I think they took it on board. I think it's going really well so far. Um, so in, I've been part of the last two years, I've done the um, Young Inspectors and that's, um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically a group where we have, there's a service who requests for us to inspect their service and help uh, help them make it more accessible for young people which is so we we all we learn about what the service is um and then we decide what we want to do so we do some things where we can, might go and talk to some people we might go and look at the actual building and see how accessible it is in that case and we do things like mystery phone calls like um ollie was mentioning earlier where you test people out to see how it works um and it's really valuable because they, they we present it back to them and they note our feedback and they take that on and they will update us later on about how they've improved it. The only downside of it is they do request us to do it. So what we need is for all of you guys to um, start requesting us. Say to us, um, do you want to come and inspect our service and we'll come and try and help it make it more youth friendly for you. Yeah, and I, I mean... I working with Dorset Council we've benefited so much from the kind of young inspectors programs that have gone into the services uh, that I've been involved in and I've always thoroughly enjoy um, particularly hearing the feedback and having the opportunity to sit around tables uh, with young people and other professionals just to discuss kind of the outcomes of that and to hear that different perspective and I mean I think for me it, that should be the norm in, and I know in, in many ways um, you know there's certain projects and a number of inspections a year but that, that for me is a vision of what all service development should look like, where we've got all the people that are involved in a service or whose lives are affected or who contribute to a service uh, get around the table to, to look at how we can improve it together and to co-produce and to understand, to empathise uh, and to, to really kind of share the kind of our values and our experiences of that. And when we truly do that, I think we're going to get the absolute best services. So massive fan of young inspectors and you know that the principles behind that i'd love to see more and more and more so i guess the kind of main question that we that we kind of have uh particularly for our decision makers here is how do you think young people could be involved in governance and quality assurance processes so if we come to allison to start that um, so how do you think young people could be more involved? So we're in um, fairly early stages uh, at YHA of youth proofing our services, um, having recently uh, had a session with Antonia who came to speak to our board of trustees. Um, we're looking at bringing young people in uh, to the organisation to help at every level um, of decision making. Um, and so I would see wherever we have decision making points, whether that's um, program boards or um, boards of trustees um, or even product design is having um, young people who are also part of a youth advisory team and um, being able to sit on those and make those decisions and to influence the policies as they're written um, within the organisation. Um, and just to the point about um, the inspection uh, framework or the inspection um, 
activity that you that you described um actually we we will we are intending on having young people come and mystery shop our services so looking at how um appropriate how welcoming um how accessible uh hostels are um and i think that's one of the kind of the early things that we will we will want to adopt but it's you know it's really important that um you've got buy-in um across the organization and the organization's ready um to to listen to hear and to take on board those things so um so yeah we are as i say in the early stages but um very much uh up for um bringing young people in to, to all of those um, decision-making levels. Um, what's also really um, refreshing uh, is that uh, there's so, so many other organisations um, that are doing this, and they're not just youth organisations. They're organisations who really want to um, improve user experience um, in the way that was described. Um, and there are so many great examples, and organisations in the charity sector certainly are so open to sharing good practice. Um, and so rather than starting from scratch, we're, we're learning from what other people have, have done, what hasn't worked and what has worked, um, and, and going from there. So exciting times for us, very early stages, um, but I think it's important to have, um, have that youth voice at every level. Um, yeah, uh, Gemma again. So at Girl Guiding, we're also on a real journey with regard to involving young people more so in the governance of our projects. We have a membership base of hundreds of thousands of people and we know that there are small pockets where um, youth participation and, and, you know, kind of youth voice is, is really well done, but we, we need to make the experience more consistent and we need to have better opportunities where young people can really inform the direction and everything the, the charity does really. Um, so with the help of participation people, we have managed to put on the table a brand new youth participation strategy, which is part of a kind of bigger strategy piece. So, uh, you know, the direction of the organization over the next five years, uh, we've kind of set out our ambitions for that. And within that lies um, becoming girl led. Um, so what we're looking to do now um, and we're at the very start of this journey, but, um, you know, we're looking to recruit a, a, a pool of girls from different locations across the kind of geography of girl guiding um, and from that potentially steering groups to help kind of um, work on different different projects around the direction of the charity. And those steering groups can feed directly into the kind of governance cycles and the governance boards associated with each, with each of the big projects. So at all levels of the business, um, young, young people's voice can be heard and we can engage young people really effectively. And um, yeah, we, we're looking at mechanisms to obviously engage as many young people as possible, um, but we're also conscious that we need to have different methods of engagement. So, you know, for, for, one, for one girl who's able to give kind of like two hours a month, she can still get involved uh, if she wants to um, versus, you know, another girl who might be able to give more or less time. You know, we need, we need to have um, loads of different ways for young people to be able to have a say on, on what we do with and for them. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a saying that, um, that goes, culture eats structure for breakfast. And for me, it's all about having a culture that really puts uh, children, young people at the heart of an organization. Now you can create um, uh, processes, you can create governance procedures, you can make sure that you tick every single box or you have boxes to tick at least. Um, and, and to some extent that works and some sense that does shape thinking. But what it also does is give people an opportunity to, to circumvent those rules 
uh, or just to, to go through the kind of motions. Because I'd much rather focus on creating organisations that at their culture is this heart to really um, uh, to put children and young people first and their voices uh, right front and centre of everything they do. And if you get that right, then every social worker that walks into a house uh, to work with a young person and work up a plan to how they can support them wouldn't even contemplate not co-producing that plan with that young person. It would mean that every uh, person like me that's designing services would not even get, uh, would not even sharpen my pencil and get my big pad of paper out until I've really thought about how I'm going to involve the voices of children and families um, and young people in that kind of design work. So for me, it's really about building um, a culture. It's about changing the way that we think, and it's about instilling empathy in every single thing um, that we do. Um, but of course, we want to make sure we have processes that follow that. And I think it's, you know, it's looking where are the right points, because actually in something like a council, there is so much activity, so much things that happen. And we're often being accused of doing things slowly when actually people just want things to happen quickly. And so for me, it's really making sure what are the right touch points uh, where um, uh, the kind of involvement of children and young people and others are really going to add value. And where are the other areas where um, uh, where people are saying, just get on with it. We, you know what to do, you know the direction, just make it happen. And I think it's finding the right balance there. But if you get the culture right, you'll get that right too. I think an important way um, to think of it is that training can change culture. Um, and this leads on to a training program that I've been very heavily involved with over the last couple of years. Um, and it's called the, uh, what is it like to be a child in care training day? I've run many of these. We've actually had our first one over Zoom recently. What this is, is it's led by myself and others that have been in care and are currently still in care. And it's all from our perspective. We have lots of different takeaways and the whole training is designed to make you think differently and to take it from our perspective and not just from somebody that is a social worker working in the council. And those training days have been really um, helpful in getting people to kind of take a step back and look at the work that they're doing and realize that every single decision they make is affecting someone's life like directly and has a massive impact. And remembering that throughout all you do is something that can be hard to do, but is um, extremely important that you are doing it. Um, yeah. Which also ties into a big announcement that the Youth Voice Pioneers do actually have. Uh, we are starting our own training program. Uh, all the details for it are available at www.participationpeople.com. Um, we're going to be hopefully doing this training program with as many young as many decision makers, sorry, to help them work with young people and to youth proof their services. And that is basically what we're going to offer. We're going to help you to be more youth friendly to work with young people in a better manner. Uh, it's something that we've been working on quite a lot uh, since before the podcast even started. And we've got, we've got so much to share. We've all got so many experiences of youth councils, of children and care councils. And we're there to be able to teach you how to be inclusive to all young people within, within the country, within wherever, within the world. We're, we're, we're going for global domination, as Naki always says. Uh, we are here to help you include as many young people as you can. Young people have been through mental health services, normal health services, asylum seeking, youth offending, young carers, special educational needs. We're there to help you with all of it. 
So uh, as I said, all the details for our training program are available at www.participationpeople.com. And it's all on there. And honestly, have a look. We, we put a lot of time into it. And we can't wait to be able to help you all uh, to be more youth friendly. So decision makers, if you know anyone who'd love a youth proof, if you'd love a collaboration with the pioneers, please hit them up. Take them straight to us. You know our website, www.participationpeople.com. Oh, yeah. I'd say we're we're probably just about ready to go into our takeaways. I guess we we we've got quite a bit. Uh, just need to try and find them. Um, but I, I'd say the main takeaways from this are just about how you can be more more youth friendly. How you can be much better at incorporating young people in these decisions. So hopefully we can find it. Okay, we do have. The takeaways for decision makers, uh, not sure about the takeaways for young people just yet, but I say we start with that. So um, I'd say the first uh, takeaway we have for decision makers is that jargon is tiring. It can be intimidating and we want young people want to understand what you're saying. So help us to understand, make it so that we can understand, because if we can't understand something, how do you expect us to be able to help you with it? Um, our second takeaway for decision makers is appointments need to be approached discreetly because it's not really fair for everything to be out in the open. As I'm sure a lot of our pioneers have experienced when they're going for counseling sessions or getting called out of classroom, it can be a very awkward and uncomfortable moment to be dragged out of classroom, especially when you're in front of all of your peers and they start asking questions about where you're going. So just to keep that in mind. Uh third takeaway is services need to be developed with help from those who use them. Our fourth one is don't be afraid to work with young people, especially at interview panels, because a lot of time guidance from the processes actually come from young people themselves. Our fifth takeaway is to give young people the power of choice. Why not try having youth governors? So have Nope, forgot what I was going to say. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> Our fifth takeaway is to give young people the power of choice. Why not try having youth governors? Okay, so <laughs> our sixth takeaway for decision makers is get other young people to train other young people. So you try and establish some peer educators, make sure that you blend in all those wide, diverse experiences that young people have in order to try and change the service for the bell. Finally, for decision makers, before we move on to young people, when you're improving the service, please keep young people updated with your progress because it's all well and good having one meeting with a young person on how you're going to improve your service, but then never checking back in with them. It seems a bit like, oh, we're going to put this work in, but then we're not actually going to be able to kind of do it. We're not going to be able to hear about it. Um, our first takeaway for young people is don't be afraid to ask questions, especially when it's jargon. Chances are anyone outside of that conversation doesn't really get it either. Our second takeaway for young people is that sometimes language can be misleading, so you need to pay attention to the tone and the context, so what they're saying and how they are saying it. Our next takeaway for young people 
is that remember when you're given a recruitment opportunity, the people that are being selected, you will have to work with them. So try and keep that in mind. Our fifth takeaway is when a promise is made, ask for when the promise maker will get back to you. Our sixth one is when you criticise a company or decision maker, make sure you explain why you don't like something. And our final takeaway is take up opportunities to make change. This applies to young people. If you want to make change, be the change. Take a part. Be the change that you want to see. Anyway, now that we've gone through all of our takeaways, I'd say that's just about time to sum up the podcast. So I want to say on behalf of the Youth Voice Pioneers, thank you to Alison, Gemma and Thomas for being here. Uh, it was lovely to have you on and uh, we hope we can help youth proof your services more in the future. Um, one more time, uh, our training program is currently live on www.participationpeople.com. And yeah, I'd say that that's probably a wrap. So thanks everyone for coming. Um, we look forward to uh, hearing, seeing you, hearing from you in the next podcast. So and check out the previous podcast as well on the website. Yeah, listen to our other podcast. Again, www.participationpeople.com.